Welcome to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. He loves movies and board games. He likes cooking gumbo for his friends and spending Sundays in his bathrobe. But most importantly, he's my neighbor and he recommends films. smell of freshly baked homemade cookies. Oh, hello and welcome to another episode of My Neighbor Recommends or Doesn't Recommend because today we are going to talk about cheesy Netflix and Hallmark Christmas films and one other quite disturbing one. But we will also talk about director Mary Lambert who not only directed Netflix A Castle for Christmas but some other very special pieces too you might be familiar with. I'm just about to travel to my neighbor who once again has taken on a remote job. That seems to be his thing. But this time I feel especially flattered as he asked me to assist him by writing a script for an upcoming Christmas movie. Yes. Uh, and while I'm waiting for the next cookie batch to be ready, I'll quickly talk about my neighbor's last time's recommendation. In that last episode, we were talking about time travel films. Time Crimes by Nacho Vigalondo and Arrival by Dennis Villeneuve. I now watched Arrival and, yes, I liked it. It's so well written by Eric Heiserer. Yes, think of me. In the beginning of the film, when you hear this statement, there are days that define your story beyond your life, like the day they arrived. Think about it. I especially like that sensitive, motherly, very intelligent and thoughtful character Louise Banks, played by a superb Amy Adams. And interestingly, being from 2016, that film often reminded me of the beginnings of COVID-19, with all the drama and fear, but also the blame. And you can see how big of a change it would be if more people like Louise Banks would empathetically lead the way without prejudgment. <clears throat> I like the fact as well that you are immediately drawn into the story. And yes, I know why my neighbor cried. I love the kangaroo story, the brilliantly grumpy Forrest Whitaker, and the first contact with the aliens. I love that it's a psychological film first, and then a sci-fi film second, and that it's set not in space, but on Earth. Yeah, <laughs> and I so hoped that the aliens were good for once. I will not tell you, though. Hmm. Ah, the vanilla kipfel already. Mmm. Yes. And that film leaves us with two big questions. One that is the main question of the film. And extremely ethical. That I can't spoil. But the second one. Does every successful woman who comes home from work in every film and TV show have to drink a glass of wine. Oh, uh, just a second, uh, someone's at my door. 
Hmm, a postcard from my neighbour. Strange. Hmm. It reads, Hey neighbour, <clears throat> are you ready for an adventure? Press Rudolph's red nose and it will directly bring you to our writing place. Hmm. Meet me in the brain of a Hallmark Christmas movie writer. Oh, uh, hello! Hello, neighbour! Hello, you made it! Oh, so glad, so glad. Oh, it was actually a, a quick journey. Yeah, thanks for that postcard. I think maybe two seconds or something. It's two cool. seconds. I never knew how long it took to actually get inside the mind of a Hallmark movie writer. Yeah, now we know. It's very quick. That says it all. And when have you arrived? Oh, I've been here since the last podcast. I've just been bedding oh. down, getting a feel for the place. Oh, um, okay. I myself didn't really know the tropes. I'm more of a horror guy. So uh, I've been just been learning from the ground up and I feel like I'm, I'm just about ready to give a script a shot. Okay, okay. So basically we still do a bit of brainstorming, but we basically whatever comes out, comes out. And she just writes down what she thinks are yeah. her thoughts. Yeah, we are we are her subconscious. So like this is like automatic writing, okay? But like yeah, we're we're in charge. We're okay. in charge. So this is this is our big chance to, to write a Hallmark movie. Oh, oh, that's cool. But when I look out of her eyes, I see a pillow. Is is she still in bed? Yeah, yeah, she's asleep. Yeah, we we've got we've got a good couple of hours probably until she wakes up. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, but you watched that A Castle for Christmas Netflix film, right? So you were a bit prepared. So you've watched some cheesy Christmas films. It's part of my training. It's part of my training. And I, and I, wanted, to, I wanted to start there, really, because I was kind of surprised to see that A Castle for Christmas is directed by Mary Lambert, who I, I know from as the director of Pet Cemetery. You know, a very, very full-on horror movie from the 80s. Shall we start talking about Mary Lambert? She started with music videos. Actually, I watched uh, Like a Prayer again. Ooh. And I really have to say, it is a masterpiece. Have you? I've never seen it in my life. <gasps> you have never seen Like a Prayer by I Madonna? Have I have not. Oh, it's so good. Because the thing is, I remember back when I was a child, I remember seeing it on TV. And I always thought... This is such a beautiful love story, and I couldn't remember why I had that feeling. And when I watched it again today, I understood it because it's so well made. <laughs> But it's very controversial, and I would say it was ahead of its time. Very nice. Yeah, I mean, from what I do know, I hear there's some religion stuff and some yep. sexual stuff, and you know, those two things never really go together yeah. hand in hand, do they? I mean, Mary Lambert's vision was was really cool because it was about uh, a white woman getting killed by some white people and a black guy walked around and then obviously they arrested the black guy and not the white guys. And then suddenly that black guy is a saint in a church and Madonna falls in love with that guy and he's in a way, yeah, he's a saint. Wow, that sounds like it's tapping it's into all of the issues, especially for yes. 19, the 1980s. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Oh, and I actually, I looked it up, and that saint is basically based on Martin de Porres, and he is the patron saint of racial harmony. Oh. Yeah. It's actually, yeah, watch it. I, I, I recommend it to you. Watch Like a Prayer. Mary Lambert also directed music videos for Mötley Crüe. 
Yeah. I know. I was going to say, do you think there's many Motley Crue videos that are about <laughs> racial harmony? Probably not. <laughs> no, she had an insane like music video directing career. So it's like Madonna, Eurythmics, mm. Ross Stewart, Janet Jackson, Simply Red, Sting. Yeah. Um, it, she clearly had like a very, very... She carved out a niche for herself in the 80s. It's so um, cool. I've never heard of her before. So I, I had heard of her because I'm a big well, a big horror fan, so I knew her through Pet Cemetery, which is a, is a really good horror movie. Like, it's definitely pretty cheesy, pretty 80s, but it is a solid, respectable film. And of course, coming out in the 80s, it wouldn't be considered really 80s. So it's it's kind of surprising that like she delivers like she has this really successful music video career. She has like a successful sort of I think it's her first feature or at least like her yes, first it was major. Her first. Well, like she, yeah, so she comes out of the back of Pet Cemetery like really strong, and I believe it was a commercial success as well. I just want to say it was not her first uh, feature because her first feature was Siesta. That was nominated for an IFP Spirit Award for Best Feature. Best first feature. So it was not her first. Quiet, Nora. Quiet. Let the neighbor talk. <laughs> so her second feature, Pet Cemetery, which I definitely <laughs> knew before this conversation happened, you'd have thought that she had started herself out on a pretty solid trajectory there. And um, I think one of the reasons that Mary Lambert is such an interesting kind of figure in cinema is she's just an example of of a very early female director, like in, in the grand scheme of things, like there weren't many female directors whose careers were taking off by the 80s. There's maybe like Catherine Bigelow, many, many, many more. But in terms of really hitting the mainstream and being heard about, it kind of feels like, oh, okay, she could have really kind of taken off, changed the game. And as it turns out, her career just completely dwindled. And I think she's a really good example of someone that like, if a man had this rap sheet and like had this kind of history, I don't think there'd be he, he, any you know doubt that he'd get second and third and fourth chances. But what seems to happen to Mary Lambert is she does Pet Cemetery Two oh. after Pet Cemetery. Now I haven't seen Pet Cemetery Two, but I see the ratings, and I know I should make my own mind up but it seems like the consensus is that it's not fantastic. But do you know that she had an original concept where Ellie Creed, so the sister, she, she's, spoiler alert, the only one that basically survived. Yes. She wanted to tell the story about Ellie Creed, who lived in wherever, New York, with her grandparents. And then Paramount said, oh, we're not confident having a female lead. So they okay. changed the whole original concept and had boys. A new idea. Let's have boys as a lead yeah. and a total new story. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because I saw, I saw the poster earlier today and I did just see two young boys on it. Yes. Uh, so that's really interesting that that was an entirely studio invention. Okay, so this so this is this is really interesting because it's it's not just about you know how her as a director getting kind of stifled as a woman. It's quite interesting that even her characters. Uh, we're getting stifled yep. uh, as well by the studios. So what a kind of interesting kind of situation where like, oh, as I was saying, I think that like a man's career, they, they'd go on to do other things. Like that, like if you think about, there are quite a few directors now. Okay, the, the new remake of 
uh, pet cemetery is Yay. absolute garbage. It's awful. But, but, but funnily enough, <laughs> they're going to go on to direct more movies. But all, yeah, but also they now have Ellie Creed as a lead. So that at least, at least. That is good. That is good. It's just a shame that the film is complete to utter yeah. garbage. What can you do? But also, I, I just quickly think of J.K. Rowling because they had Joanne Rowling uh, first, but then they said, oh, no, boys are going to buy a book written by a woman. Yeah. So they changed it to J.K. Rowling. Yeah, oh. Came up. <sighs> but then Mary Lambert also directed, I think, one of the of my favorite, <laughs> favorite titles, Megapython versus Gatoroid. I was really hoping that was the one that you'd bring up. Yeah, so there you go. So literally, within the space of 20 years, she goes from directing Pet Cemetery, one of like the leading horror films of its year, uh, to directing Megapython vs. Gatoroid in the early 2010s, mm -hmm. um, which has a, an IMDb rating of 3 out of 10. Okay, yeah, but I, it's weird because there are snakes that big that they can eat a whole train. So I don't know, understand that rating, but okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, that, that seems like it should warrant at least five, just for the concept. But then she also directed a, a, a documentary, it's called 14 Women, and it's about female senators. So I love that she's extremely versatile and different genres. That's very yeah. interesting. I, I, I liked it a lot. And so are you suggesting that the, the, the female senators aren't besieged by a gigantic gator uh, <laughs> in the middle of that film? That would have been a cool combination of genres. But yes, what can you do? And yeah, I just want to mention one other straight to TV. No, is that a thing? Straight to TV, Face of Evil, starring Tracy Gold. And it's interesting because we go full circle. We have Tracy Gold, but we also have Kirk Cameron coming up and they play together in Growing Pains, my favorite TV show. Again, when I was a child, I was watching Madonna videos and Growing Pains. And Tracy Gold seems to be quite a decent person, whereas Kirk Cameron, we're going to talk about him a bit later when we talk about the great American family. Cool. <laughs> okay. Neighbor. Is she still asleep? Can we still talk about the castle for Christmas? Yeah, she started to... Uh, I saw some of her vital spike when we talked about Gatoroid. Okay. A castle for Christmas, 2021. And I have to say, it's not a Hallmark Christmas movie. It's a Netflix Christmas movie. It, it, you, you might think it's the same, but it's not. No, it's totally different. It's, it's, it's like Netflix saw what Hallmark were doing, and they're like, right, okay. Absolutely not. We can do a lot better than that. We think that there's a different angle in the market. We think that there's a different angle on Christmas. We're going to go there. And then they did exactly the same thing. Yes. I mean, basically, they did the same thing. I have to say, I like watching those movies because they are not about politics. They don't care about what's going, to, what's happening in the world. And I like that because it's, it's really good to escape all the problems. This is a really good thing. But then, obviously... Hallmark is a little bit strict on what is a proper American family, whereas Netflix decided, no, we want to be diverse and inclusive. So this is well done, Netflix, because that's not politics. It's, it's just how people live. It's how people are. 
it's, it's pretty diverse, and I'd say it does so quite naturally. Like there's there's like a, what's quite interesting as well is there's like um, like an, an older gay gentleman like and like that's kind of an interesting demographic that sort of isn't covered so much. But in general, like across the town that she heads to, I'm jumping ahead. We need to we need to do the full synopsis. But basically, they you know they did a good job of I think modernizing hallmark Christmas movie yeah. market. Yes, it's definitely a good step. Because you can still make those cheesy Christmas films and they feel like, yeah, well, yeah, what I said before, like an escapism. But yes, you can be inclusive. That's possible. Everyone deserves some Christmas cheese. That's true. Unless they, and, and, and you know, even if they don't celebrate Christmas themselves, they're That's more than welcome. So A Castle for Christmas, do you quickly want to tell the audience what's going to happen in A Castle for Christmas? What is going to happen? Well, so Brooke Shields plays the uh, leading role. She basically plays uh, an author based in New York, and she uh, she goes on a TV show because there's been a little bit of outrage about her latest novel. She has decided to kill off the the male heartthrob. I believe is it Winston? Is his name? Oh, I can't remember his name. I, it made, <laughs> it's a great I, name. He, he made me think. It made me think of Churchill. So I'm going to assume Ooh. that his name was Winston. And if not, there you go, listeners. You are imagining Winston now. So she plays an author um, with possibly the most generic name I have heard for a main character in a long time. Her name is Sophie Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which, to be honest, I can imagine that plastered on the covers of some very generic literature, which seems to be the type that she's writing. It seems to be those kind of pink novels you find in charity shop mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of thing. But she has uh, quite a nice course. apartment. She yeah. does have a nice. She made, yeah, she's made a pretty penny doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, her fans are not happy that she's killed off the the heart from. And so she goes on a show hosted by Drew Barrymore, which is really a, cool. In a cameo as Drew Barrymore, <laughs> um, exactly. And she's actually she's actually quite good, and um, she's actually funny. Like they they actually they have a a blooper reel um, in the credits of the movie with just Brooke Shields and Drew Barrymore riffing and like that's some of the best stuff in the film. It's true. Um, so basically she's kind of crucified by her fans. So what's she going to do? Well, she used to, she had a granddad who had heritage in Scotland and he used to stay at a castle in Scotland and so she's going to skip town, she's going to escape her angry fans and she's going to go have Christmas in Bonnie Wee Scotland. Beautiful Scottish accents by English actors. Love it. Yep. Yep. I looked up a few. I thought I thought that most of them would be Scottish. And it turns out they're all English. Mm-hmm. But I also like how Americans just always think of Europeans in an interesting way. So, yeah, English people playing Scottish people. They, they also come up with funny country names, for example, in the Princess yes. Switch. Like they go to <laughs> Belgravia, not the London one, but they go to Belgravia because it is a country. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think that's what they were thinking here because they're, they're right though. It's all the same, isn't it? We're, we're all the same. Yes. Like, you know, in, in Europe, you and I, identical. The English, the Scottish, it's all the same, really. It's all just castles and old buildings and yep. public houses and ale. True. If this movie is anything to go by. Yes, I quickly want to read out a review by Shona Craven. She is Scottish and she says, A Castle for Christmas is patronizing and ridiculous. I loved it. 
Let's get a few things out of the way first. The main characters are obnoxious, the class politics are extremely dubious, and the portrayal of rural village life incredibly patronizing. Their geography is nonsensical, the history fantastical, and the fashion impractical. But is A Castle for Christmas still worth loading up on Netflix? For the slow motion montages alone, <laughs> I have to say yes. If you haven't watched Carrie Els try to catch fake snowflakes on his tongue, you haven't lived. You haven't. While um, She's the One by Robbie Williams plays out on the soundtrack. <laughs> May, may I add, that, that was when I really wasn't sure what was happening and what I had gotten myself into. I love it. Uh, sincerely, uh, sincerely, that's the, that's the problem, really. But did you hear about the Glaswegian band Starsky and the Fox? That is actually... Is a, a, it's a that sounded like the setup to a joke. <laughs> Starsky and the Fox go into a bar. <laughs> But that's a cool thing because some sometime in the film they are in a Range Rover and the song comes up called Celtic Heart and I thought oh that's a nice song so I looked it up and it is by the band did I mention Starsky <laughs> the Fox they are a cover band more or less and during COVID they decided oh let's write our own stuff because we like covering stuff but let's write our own stuff so they had a demo ready and this. Starsky guy, he knew a person just from Instagram and he knew he she was a musician as well so they just wrote back and forth and then he said, oh I have a new demo and she said, oh yeah, send it over. So he thought, okay, she just likes music and then it turned out she is a music supervisor for films and then she said, oh they just shot a film and the production company in LA, they're looking for a song so basically within 48 hours that unknown band had that big hit in The Castle for Christmas. Beautiful story. Ooh. And it was a big hit. I mean... It's I a nice song. It. Yeah, good. You just remember good old Robbie Williams. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm a simple man. Um, maybe I'll go back and I will appreciate this this more grassroots local music that's going on. Because that's... That, yeah, there we go. That's something good that the film is doing. Even though it's an extremely American view of of Scotland, you know, it's a patron of the local arts in that case. Yeah, yeah. so she goes to Scotland and then there's the 12th Duke of Dunbar, played yes. by Cary Elves. Is that his name? Cary Elves. Elves, Elves. Yeah, I kind Elves. of want to say it like Elves. That's that would be more Christmassy. Yeah, true. Yeah, and Let's just call him Cary Elves. Yeah, he carries Elves. Good. So the interesting thing is as well, so we were talking about Mary Lambert, being very versatile and doing loads of different genres, I never took Carrie, Carrie the Elf seriously because I saw him in Man in Tights, Robin Hood, Man in mm -hmm. Tights, and then I saw him in Saw. Yes, it's a it's a rich career. Yes. Um, but he's solid. I buy I buy him. He's a bit of a country. <laughs> And um, I mean, I, I personally, I don't know about you, but like, you know, when, so she arrives in Scotland and she gets a taxi from a kind of very jolly uh, taxi driver. As, as that reviewer pointed out, they, they do some very nonsensical geography, uh, according to locals. And basically she arrives, she arrives at this castle and um, we see a close up of Carey Elves <laughs> as, and we pull back, leaving us to wonder, is this going to be the romantic interest? No, of course not. That would be too obvious. 
neighbors. Have you, sorry, neighbor, have you never seen a Christmas movie before? It's always the first guy or the first woman that appears is the love interest. Well, in that case, it should be the taxi driver, which I would, I would have loved that. I would have loved that. Film. Just <laughs> seeing Brooke Shields get, getting on famously with a slightly rotund and jocular Scottish cab driver. I, I, I'm, I'm all in for that Christmas movie. But, you know, instead, it's just some dude who's pretending to be a gardener and he's basically a, an earl, is he? The 12th Duke of Dunbar. Yeah, he said that. I, I, like, I like saying I that. Remember. It was alliterative as well, the Duke of Dunbar. How did I not remember that? Yeah. And then there is Lee Ross as well, who is basically the actual servant, I would call him. And I, I mean, I don't really watch loads of EastEnders, but again, very versatile. Because in The Castle for Christmas, he's the nicest guy, whereas in East Enders, he plays a very violent and sadistic Owen Turner. Ooh. Uh -huh. Oh, no, he's lovely in this. I'd say he's the heart yes. of the film. He's the moral compass of the film. There you go. Um, he also has a very, very swishy kilt. Fantastic, fantastic costume choice. Yeah. Yes, and then we have that group of knitting friends. Yep. Yeah, the knitting friends. That's, that's quite nice. I like the whole, uh, she meets them down the pub and they do some knitting and that's all quite nice and that feels like it's a community and I think I think the secondary characters are actually pretty decent in this film. Yeah, yeah um, I like Andy Osho as well. She's a comedian. I like her as well. And then there's... She's excellent. In yeah. it. I really like her. I think she's probably my favourite secondary character in it. I like it that it's not about very young people. I like that as well. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. Um, I believe they are both divorced is that correct as well yeah i think so I he think certainly so. is so that's kind of interesting and she has a daughter like, as well yeah I, I believe they're both they're both divorced there's been some loss in the past so like, it's kind of interesting it's like there's, there's it's it's not a completely straightforward and generic relationship although in every other respect it totally is when you know as soon as they actually do kind of start romancing one another they're by a spring in the Scottish Highlands, and there are little wishes placed on a tree by the locals, and they're catching snowflakes, and there's even a rather uh, a raunchy, almost taken out of Notting Hill kind of scene where Carrie Elves' dog basically, um, Sophie thinks that she's going to take him to the kitchen for a midnight snack, but yet the dog leads her to a, a naked man in the bath. I wish I had a dog. If you have any questions or suggestions for future podcasts or would like to get involved as a volunteer, please email us at info at depthedcinema.org. Oh, it actually looks like a really nice breakfast she's having. Yeah, it's pretty good, actually. It's quite strange being up here and just seeing a kind of spoon constantly move towards you. It's, it's a bit true. intimidating, but I, I don't mind it. It does look tasty. It's interesting. I don't feel hungry, though. Yeah, you might not need to eat. Interesting. Yeah, so while she's eating breakfast, and I know she's going to start writing in a few minutes, shall we quickly discuss some other Netflix Hallmark and Great American Family Christmas films? Great American Family. I mean, yeah, oh I, I mean, I've been doing my research. Obviously, I said I'm not really like too hot on this topic. And so, like, I really wanted to know, like, who's the best out there? Like, you know, I've heard of Hallmark Christmas movies, but but surely there's something better out there. And then I found it. Great American Family. And if you thought that Hallmark movies and that Castle for Christmas were too diverse, too outlandishly 
um, non-traditional and that actually they pose a threat to the sanctity of the family unit, then boy, have I got some films for you. Great American family. Where is the vomit noise? Yeah, yeah so it turns out... <laughs> so it turns out the Great American Family, I believe, was run and set up by a gentleman who came over from Hallmark. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly... Hallmark was getting a little bit too non-traditional for him and he needed to stand by his values and and to make sure that pure white bread Americans had their Christmas movies that were not being bespoiled by all of this Netflix nonsense. You know, he needed some some very pure, traditional, wholesome programming that seemingly seems to exclude everyone apart from white people and white heterosexual people if the lineup of the movies is anything to go by but boy howdy when i believe i showed you the lineup of the executives and we had mm-hmm. a, we had a, we had a look at all of the executives and yeah it's uh it's something else candace cameron Bray. so she started as a nice girl and then she did loads of hallmark christmas movies but again it was a bit too controversial for her those hallmark movies so she actually changed over to the great american family and wow i mean there is quite the lineup available this christmas let me tell you listeners out there you can find b&b merry Mm -hmm. that i imagine takes place in a bed and breakfast that sounds Mm -hmm. pretty good i'll be home for christmas (laughs) a-i-a-i-s-l-e takes place in a shop i'd imagine and actually, it, uh, as if the title of a very, very famous Christmas song was almost too long, we have Christmas is You, mm-hmm. rather than All I Want from Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very straightforward. I think straightforward is the word I would probably describe these. <laughs> yes, it's true. I mean, isn't that safe Christmas content like we all want? No. <laughs> you know, like I said, the problem is not the escapism. The problem is that they think that the safe Christmas content is just white people celebrating a proper Christmas. Yeah. yeah. I, I believe they describe themselves as a safe space for American values to thrive. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really safe away from anyone else who may challenge your uh, view of the world and yes. who is in it. And in the words of Thomas, from A Castle for Christmas. Castles are meant to have walls around them. People aren't. Yeah, so then, so we had the Great American Family, don't watch. Then we have the Hallmark films, which are really, really few steps ahead of the Great American Family. And they normally start uh, end of October, showing their Christmas films this year, 21st of October. And just a few titles here with a short synopsis. We have, for example, Noel Next Door, a hardworking single mom, gets into a war of words with a neighbor who she feels is ruining Christmas, only to find that this misunderstood grouch just may steal her heart. Wow. I mean, a neighbor-based Christmas movie. That feels like something that we should have written. That's actually true. (gasps) Neighbor. No, you're married. That's fine. Good. Then... (laughs) The Royal Nanny. Oh, actually, there are so many Christmas films that are based around royals. It seems to be a desirable thing to be a queen, to be a princess. 
I have no idea what is going on there. Okay. Um, the last I <laughs> the last I heard, Christmas was mainly to do with Bethlehem and not ye olde England. But I just like how the two genres have merged in people's heads. But have you never seen A Christmas Prince on Netflix? And there is a second one called A Christmas Prince, The Royal Wedding. And there's a third one, The Christmas Prince, A Royal Baby. No. Okay. No. Anyway, the royal nanny... <clears throat> listen carefully, neighbor. Claire is an M15 agent who goes undercover as the royal nanny. She must overcome the challenges of her assignment, like resisting the charm of Prince Colin while keeping the family safe at Christmas. That is also uh, another good example, I would hope, of an American-written movie set in Britain, because I think any British person will tell you there would never be a Prince Colin. Oh, true. Oh, the, oh, there's definitely one that's set in London or in England. A royal corgi Christmas. Reluctant crown prince Edmund returns home just before Christmas in anticipation of being named successor to the throne. To integrate himself to his mother, the queen, he gifts her with mistletoe. But mistletoe is a corgi in need of some serious training. After several doggy disasters, Edmund turns to Cecily, a dog behavior expert from America, and he asks her for help. Okay, so two things. So I'm imagining that there's a scene in the film where the dog is raised aloft above the two lovers' heads so that they can kiss under mistletoe. Oh. If that is not the crux of the film, then I know nothing about writing. <laughs> and secondly, they've done their research there with Prince Edmund, strong Anglo-Saxon name. Yes. Edmund, you know, one of the, that's, that's, a, that's an early king right there. So well done. Well done. I am much warmer towards a Christmas corgi than, than the other title. Great. Is it, can we say, do we go as far as saying, neighbor, you're going to recommend a royal corgi Christmas? I mean, based off of not having seen it, but having seen a hypothetical version of it in my brain, yes, I would recommend that. Cool. Okay, neighbor, are you ready? Because she now sits down. Oh at her desk. Okay, okay, character. Uh, Julie, Julie, okay, yep, yep, she, she's good. She, a re she's a real estate agent in uh, Chicago. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, and, she, and she's fed up with closing deals and instead she wants to open presents. Ah, and there must be an ex-boyfriend somewhere. Yeah, yeah, there's an ex-boyfriend. He, he tried to crash her real estate business by showing up when she was showing people around houses and he would show up nude in the kitchen. Oh, okay. Um, and But she lo still loves her coffee in the morning, but then there is this very rude barista. Definitely the love interest. Yes. Right. Yeah. Let's call him uh, 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 Steve. <laughs> it's Steve. Um, and, and Steve says, how, how would you like your Christmas? Um, and she says, uh, as bitter as my coffee. Oh, that's good. That's good. And, and Steve could be English. I, I, I buy an English, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. Very good. And maybe he has some, I don't know, German ancestors or something like that. And he can speak with a weird German accent as well. Yeah, I think that works. I think that works. You should probably do that part. 
Uh, okay, yeah, I will write that later. That's really cool. Okay, so then uh, she lives on her own. Yeah, yeah, of course. Okay. Um, and okay, so every day she goes to the coffee shop. Um, mm -hmm. But after she sees Steve for the first time, she goes there the whole week afterwards, and he's not there anymore. Oh, what? What? Where is he? I don't know. He's uh, of the other employees. She asks the other employees. They think she's a bit crazy at first. They don't want to kind of give out any of his information. And it turns out that he's gone back to Germany <gasps> to claim his birthright of a castle. Ah, uh, cool. So maybe that place is just called Red Redchangima or something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm just going to agree to that without knowing what that may mean or any of the connotations in German. Yeah, that's definitely not a place. Good. So, somewhere there must be a Baldwin brother. That's important. Yeah, yeah. Who's around this time of year? Uh, Steve. Another Steve. <laughs> Steve. <laughs> Let's go with a double Steve. Yes. Cool. Shall we mention a crocoduck? Although, no, that is... Oh, that's Kirk Cameron. So that is the great American family. So that goes too far. Uh, okay, we're Hallmark. Hallmark, no crocodiles. Um, so Steve in German, he has a German Shepherd then. Yes, yeah, yeah, Steve has a German Shepherd. And okay, so, so how's she gonna get out there? Because like he's there, he's there with a German Shepherd. He's trying to find out about his ancestry. She finds out that he's there. She's gonna, she's gonna jump on a plane. But like when she arrives, like he's gonna think she's crazy. He's met her once at the coffee shop. So yeah. she needs some sort of story. But the excuse is she is because she's a real estate agent still, and she tries to find a place in Germany to sell. Or... And then she finds that Steve is having trouble selling the property. He wants to sell the property and put his birthright and move on. And then she agrees to be his real estate agent. Montage. I see a montage here. The montage is of them cleaning up the uh, castle so that they can sell it, so there's lots of like sweeping and accidentally bumping into one another <laughs> uh, and kind of putting boxes away and maybe unearthing a kind of Nosferatu in the, in the basement. I feel like and that could be a nice little nod. Definitely, and they definitely go to a Christmas market where they eat Bratwurst. Yes, that's, that's, oh cool, cool. Let's write that down, that's amazing. We should probably have a Krampus reference in there. Just... There must, yes, yes. Krampus is very good. And then, yeah, I mean, the film is only an hour and a half, so we, I think we need to wrap it up soon. Yeah, okay, so uh, they, the Krampus comes up from one direction chasing them, and the Nosferatu comes up from another direction chasing them, and they jump into one another's arms, and then uh, Steve says... Oh, you're very latte. <coughs> okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yes, yes, okay. And they jump into one another's arms, and he says, better latte than never. So it basically also became a, a, a horror film in the end. I think that was just because there was, yeah, it was a German castle. I mean, that's bold. It's a bold decision. German castles are spooky castles, right? Like of English castles, they have like nobles. But what I've learned about German castles is they're spooky scary. That's true. It, like the Germans themselves, I would imagine. And at the end, I would say we definitely need some lovely music, maybe some a mixture of German, English, American Christmas style. And do you remember, in one of our first podcasts, we were talking about playing the flute and that you want to learn how to play the flute. And yes. I heard that you, over the past year, learned how to play the flute. So that's Yeah, I did. And I've got a little something to play us out.
That's actually more tiring than I thought. Okay, I mean, she's, she's taking a sip of her coffee now. Yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's woken me up, that's woken me up. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, Woo. what do you think? Do we have, do we have enough for now? Is that, is that quite cool? I think, good. I think she's got enough. I think we've given her absolutely everything she needs. She's got loads rattling around in her brain now. And I think, I think this next script's going to be a doozy. Yeah, it's very good. Do we have a title? I'm, I'm not sure if we have a title. So she's a real estate agent. He's a barista. Okay, so we've got coffee, we've got a tractor, Germany. Uh, Germany. Okay, yeah, Steve. How how about just Christmas Steve? What what was her name? Emily, he said. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> they have problems with germs. Germania. Germany Christmas wishes. Krampus in boots. And then you've got a Christmas coffee. A German blend. Oh, what about a Christmas coffin German blend? Thank you for listening to the Deptford Cinema Podcast. For more information about our current online activities, please visit our website, www.deptfordcinema.org. Deptford Cinema. Deptford Cinema, the right place for film lovers.